0: You know, last week, talking with Santiago Rincon Gallardo was an absolute eye-opener for me. Thinking about the way in which we can connect the notion of our learning to the fundamental liberty and the experience of freedom that we need as human beings to grow just made a whole bunch of sense. I think this time I want to take it further. I'm sure Santiago does as well. We want to look at how educational change is a social movement. I can't wait. Let's go. Before we start our conversation with today's Game Changers guest, Phil, can you share with our audience a little insight into our series premium sponsor? Thanks, Adriano. Of course. We are delighted to be partnering with the team at Open Parachute. If you want to teach mental health to your students, but you don't have time to become an expert, Open Parachute can help. Learn more at openparachute.com.au. Hello again, Santiago. How are you doing today? Doing very well. feel very nice to be with you again. Yeah, thank you very much, mate. It's, look, it's, I, I loved hearing you talk about the six ways in which learning occurs, and in particular, thinking about the outcomes that you want for your children and for students to know themselves, to learn, to be able to work with others and, and to better the world. I want to start this conversation with just a couple of things, really. The first is I want to talk about, I guess, what we've found about the notion of character. Because, you know, I mentioned last time, you know, our our work says character, it's the whole work of a school. It's the reason why we do school. I want to break down what we've found talking to schools around the world about what we think that model of character might be. And then just ask you to sort of start jumping in. And because I have a feeling this is going to match up, even though we haven't talked about this before. When we look at character, we would say character is the way you live your life. And that fundamentally, there are three aspects to it. The first is the civic character of belonging. And I think that picks up on a lot of what you talk about when you start talking about democracy and that exchange of rights and responsibilities that says ultimately that you need to earn your place, but also society needs to create a place where you feel welcome at the same time. So that's that civic character of belonging. There's a second aspect, and I think that picks up on very much on all of those competencies of learning that you talked about last time, you know, the interest and the practice and the feedback and the reflection and the collaboration and so on. And I think that's about performance character, and I think that's very much about the achievement of your potential. Whether or not you can ever achieve your full potential or even know what it is, that doesn't matter. That's the journey kind of thing along the way. And I think there's a third piece, and my great colleague, the indomitable Adriano de Prado, would particularly want to talk about voice and agency and advocacy and that's moral character because that says that not only do you need a moral code, you need to work out what you're going to do with it in the world and do good and right in the world. And, and that ultimately what connects all of this is a spirit of selflessness rather than a spirit of self-centeredness. All right. So yep. there's my provocation for you. I think very much that, you know, we, we have to have a social contract for education that suits our times you're telling me that education is a social movement let's jump into it shall we
1: good so let me let me just start with uh, with the four uh with the three aspects of character you're talking about and what i would say is um i think even conventional schools would would buy into this they would say you know we want we want to develop some kind of um sense of belonging um of, of our, for our children we want them to be able to perform and we want to form them morally I like the, I, you know, I think the three categories make a lot of sense. But it depends on which game you're playing that those will be helpful or detrimental to the human project. Last time we were talking about the game. We're in a, this podcast is game changers, and uh, the game, the old game is schooling. The new game is learning. We need to. The way I have articulated it before is we need to replace the grammar of schooling. With the language of learning, the grammar of schooling is based on the industrial model in scientific management. This idea that the best way to organize human activities to divide it into small chunks of uh, tasks and creating external incentives for, for people to execute the work adequately. That's that's the old game. The new game is the language of learning getting good at the at the language of learning, learning it and practicing it. Character can be cultivated in authoritarian regimes and it can be cultivated in democratic societies. And I think the difference is whether what you're cultivating, the game you're playing is a game of schooling or if you are developing a new language, which is the language of learning. So let me go back, to, let me go to the idea of education changes a social movement. We need to change. If we want to re- change the game, so that the game is no longer schooling, but learning. We need deep and widespread cultural change. We need to change in fundamental ways how we think about and how we practice. Almost everything we do in schools, student activities, teaching, school leadership, system leadership. We need to change deeply and in a widespread manner. The culture that we have created, uh, that's the culture of schooling. And it's a culture that's highly resilient. It's in all of us. We breathe it, we speak it, we live it. It's almost second nature for us. And we need to change in very deep ways, our ways to think and our ways to practice. All these things, teaching, leadership, all those kinds of things. Now, throughout history, the most powerful vehicles for deep and widespread cultural change have been social movements, right? Right. Those are, those are the vehicles for cultural renewal, especially cultural renewal that moves us closer to our shared humanity. You know, bureaucracies change people. <laughs> they change cultures. But in a way, that's more dehumanizing. When, I, when we're thinking about changing culture in a way that brings us closer to our human nature, social movements have been historically for centuries the most powerful mechanisms to do it. Think about feminism and the role it has played in challenging and trying to change the game uh, of the relationship between men and women, right? Think about uh, the civil rights movement in in the United States. It was trying to change the game between black Americans and white Americans. Think about the indigenous movements. They are trying to change the rules of the game in the relationship between indigenous peoples and, uh, and colonizers, right? In education, again, the game we need to change is the game between leave, replace the game of schooling and instead learn to play the learn of, gay, of, of learning. And we need to start changing certain patterns of social interaction just the same way uh, as, as social movements do it uh, in other fields. At least we need to change two patterns of social interaction in our instit- institutions that we call schools. One is the interaction between adults and young people. <laughs> that's that's the first one, the, the basic one. And for that, I think it's it's helpful to bring in the concept of the pedagogical core. Others have called it the instructional core. Basically, the, the basic unit where learning happens or not. A pedagogical core is the relationship between an educator and a learner in the presence of an object of knowledge.
0: Absolutely. And we would call that character apprenticeship. We 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 see that as right. a, we see that as the, the absolutely fundamental pedagogy. When you see teachers saying, "What are your pedagogies?" and and they're and they're looking at different sequences of learning and this and that and the other, and the first thing he says, "Hang on, the real pedagogy is the relationship." Talk to us more about that.
1: That's right. Well, that, so let's let's talk about this in terms of the the, the 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 core of the pedagogy, the pedagogical core. In conventional schooling, we have a very clear definition of a pedagogical core. That is, you know, if you think about the relationship between a teacher and a student, there's a very clear separation, vertical separation, between the person who knows and the person who doesn't. The person who says what has to be done and the person who is expected to follow. The person who teaches and the person who learns. The relationship, the pedagogical core, the configuration of the pedagogical core in compulsory schooling is authoritarian in nature, is vertical. It's a vertical separation with one person on top, the other below. What we know now is that that's not good for learning, for good learning. If you look at what John Hattie has been doing, his massive meta-analysis and his kind of basic concept of visible learning, what he says when he conducts all these, you know, he he studied more, he kind of synthesized more than 800 meta-analyses of teaching practices that have an effect on student learning. Many factors, but teaching practices in particular. And what he found, he summarizes in what follows. He says, the more the teacher becomes the student. And the more the student becomes the le- the teacher, the more successful the outcome. What, the, what he's saying, or the way I interpreted it, is, is good, powerful learning doesn't happen in, in a relationship that establishes a vertical separation between the teacher and the learner. It happens in dialogue, in a more horizontal kind of relationship. It happens in dialogue. This is what Paulo Freire told us. 50 years ago, in Pedagogy of the Oppressed. Actually, it is last year that, that, the, that the book turned 50 years old. So yeah. yeah
0: so what I'm hearing, Santiago, is that the, the very first piece of this notion of educational change is a, is a social movement. And, you know, we're going to change the human project. Mm-hmm. This isn't about going out on the streets and manning the barricades and demanding change and That's
1: shaking right. the fist at the government. Yeah. yeah. Well, and there yeah. may be
0: there may be a role for that somewhere along the line. But the first That's step right. is to change the way we connect with kids. So no, that sorry. we so that we remove the power games and so that no, we sorry. understand, as Adriana would say, every student is home to a life, and therefore that life is just as valuable as our own. Every every life is just as valuable as every other life. Yeah. And therefore, we need to see that even though we may start with informational power or, or expertise, our job yeah. as teachers is to surrender that over time and to raise up students. Who develop their own adaptive expertise and self-efficacy along that's the way. right,
1: that's right. It is it is a new kind of social pact that I think you guys mm. are trying to 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 frame or to develop. We need to develop a different kind of connection with our younger generation, okay. Uh, so, where we're not trying to control them, but so, we're so trying to unleash their talent, their creativity, their passion. Fantastic. So that's the first
0: of the yeah. relationships that you wanted to talk about. What's the second yeah. one?
1: the relationship between uh, education systems and schools, between policy and teachers. Because the same kind of pattern that you see in a classroom, you see in education systems, you see in the connection between the ministry and the people who do the work, right? Again, there's a very clear separation between the one who says what has to be done and the one who has to implement. Implementation by itself, just as a term, which is all over the place in the education reform lingo, it assumes that someone at the top designs a very good idea. And the people at the bottom need to do as they're told. They need to implement what the ministry is now saying that has to happen. It mimics the instructional core in the classroom, mimics the larger relationships within the system. And uh, and that's the next one we we need to change. Again, it is not the best educational systems that we have had so far. Our systems that develop a more uh, mechanisms of two-way communication and collaboration and learning with their teachers if I have to put it just very bluntly very briefly and I will summarize in three sentences uh, about three decades of research on effective teaching effective school leadership effective system leadership I would put it this way the most the most effective teachers learn alongside their students The most effective school leaders learn alongside their teachers and the most effective school systems, education systems learn alongside their schools. It is in dialogue, in uh, relationships of dialogue, of mutual learning, of mutual influence that the best classrooms, the best schools and the best education system shape up. It is in relationships where both parts learn, where both parts get changed in the exchange, both parts change as a result of interacting with the other. And in that way, they become more human. They become more uh, compassionate, more understanding. And at the end of the day, you're also more effective. Again, it's a very simple idea but it's much more uh, consistent with our human inclinations. It is very consistent with the research we have, the knowledge we have built so far about effective teaching and leadership in schools and in education systems. And it's more effective. Now, the thing is, it's a simple idea, but it's totally countercultural. It is goes against the current of the systems we have designed so far. Last time you were talking about your skepticism about systems, and I, I and I shared that skepticism with you. The thing is, <laughs> I don't I don't think we can liberate learning across entire nations and states without a system that's organized around learning, not around schooling, but a system that's organized around learning.
0: You know, Santiago, I, I've never met somebody who works in an educational system who's a cynic. But I have met lots of people who work in education systems who are exhausted and feel defeated. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. generally speaking, I find very well-intentioned people who yeah. are required to do too much with too little, who are required to measure the wrong metrics, yeah. and who end up feeling that what should be possible becomes impossible because of the parameters put onto it that notion of reciprocity that you are talking about or what mm-hmm. the Africans or the, the Southern Africans would call Ubuntu, you know, that yeah. that I am because you are, you know, I, yeah. I learn because you learn, I lead because yeah. you follow, I follow because you, all of that sort of relationship there, yeah. the way in which our systems are set up, of course, which is a yeah. reward and punishment approach is, is really challenging. You know, the metric yeah. essentially is if you can tick as many of the boxes that say you comply, and compliance, of course, is about achieving a minimum viable standard. Yeah, It's not about excellence. It's not about growth. It just says yep. if you can do as much of the do as you can do, then we will reward you with slightly less resources than you need to do the job and not yep. enough time to do it <laughs> and not quite enough decision-making yep. that, that you need to do along the way. I mean, yeah. it, you know, even even the notion, you know, in in Australia, we've struggled over the last twenty years in our state education systems as we have tried to give principals of schools local autonomy. Yeah. And of course, it's a little bit like going to the kids who are a year or two before graduating high school and saying, "Now we want you to take control of your learning." We've spent twelve years telling you you're not allowed to take control of your learning. You've got to do exactly what we tell you to do. But now, yeah. be free. You know, so I, I think there's a process in here, and and, and you mentioned yeah. earlier cultural renewal. Cultural renewal, I believe, is not revolutionary. I think it's incremental. I think human beings grow step by step by step. Um, yeah. uh, and I'm, I'm 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 waiting. I'm waiting for the response. I'm being deliberately yeah. provocative. Yeah. Here. How do we help people who are dependent to become independent and interdependent? Let's pause for a moment to remind our listeners about the important work of Open Parachute for wellness in schools. You know your students are struggling with their mental health, but you're not a trained therapist. Open Parachute can help you. Learn more at openparachute.com.au.
1: Well, let me just kind of place a little parenthesis, just a quick response to the idea of cultural renewal is incremental. It most often is more, it is, that's the case more, most of the time. But when social movements erupt, it can be very quick. It can it can move quickly, and that's and 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 in a widespread manner. Well, we're and living that's
0: we're, why, we're living through that right now, aren't we? The way right. that we the way that we've introduced oh, we spent thirty years trying to introduce it into schools, yeah. billions yeah. and billions and billions of dollars and and pesos yeah. and rupiah and whatever across the world trying yeah. to get ICT yeah. into schools. Teachers went no 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 no, and within a week in the pandemic, most schools were doing it.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's right. So sometimes it's disruption, some kind of massive disruption. Um, Mm -hmm. That's not necessarily a movement or a social movement, but it is disruption that can re, you you know, so many pieces are in place and some emerging needs that are shared across the board find some, some ways to be solved. Yes, cultural renewal is incremental most of the times, but there are moments where it can be very fast. And, uh, and there are some examples, we'll be talking more about these, um, I think, next, next time we meet. There are some good examples of radical innovation, especially in the global south, that has spread like wildfire to thousands of schools in a few years, thousands of schools, through mechanisms that are very similar to what social movements do. Many people who have studied these initiatives are, have been saying, "This, uh, this is now, this, you know, this is not conventional education policy or a program, or not even kind of innovation. It's, it's movement. It's, it, it, these are social movements. So we have good examples now. What to say about how to how to bring it about and how to how to make it happen? Well, social movements are built around triggering the intrinsic motivation." of the people who form part of it. I mean, there's no other way people will enroll in a social movement. They, they, they would take so many risks, right? They, ha- they will have to take so many risks.
0: Mm-hmm. So there
1: has to be something that they really want or that they really don't want anymore. Uh, and uh, what, I think what uh, part of our role is to design and facilitate the creation of experiences that allow kids to experience powerful learning in whatever place you are, create a condi- conditions for powerful learning. Take yourself as a teacher, as an administrator, as a minister of education, take on the project of learning, of learning something new, of, of learning something that you're fully incompetent to begin with. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, you know, do it with people around you who can help you, all those kind of things. Because I have seen the power, the liberating power of good learning. I really trust that there's something there that can reverberate across entire systems very quickly. When a teacher changes in some ways their practice so that kids' eyes shine light for the first time, where they feel excited, you know, where they jump off their their chairs because they found an answer to a problem that they've been kind of tackling with for for weeks. When those kind of things happen, that changes people internally, it does when a kid experiences powerful learning it's very hard to stop them <laughs> so that's that's the first thing now of that's, course so, there are so, lots so. of constraints to this of course yes. there are lots of constraints and and lots of requirements of the system all these kind of things the thing is what the things that we have seen consistently is that when you liberate learning kids learn the formal content at 10 times the pace Ten times
0: uh, a piece. I mean, so, uh, so, 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 I love, I love what you're saying, and I'm getting really yeah. excited listening to it because this is just yeah. right up my alley. I'm hearing yeah. a voice in my ear, not literally, but metaphorically. I'm hearing a voice yes, in my okay. ear of a very yeah. fine educator I know who runs a school who would be saying, she would be saying to me at the moment, "Yeah, all this stuff is good, but I just don't have time. Can you just give me five points that I can use in my in my classroom tomorrow? How would you respond <laughs> to that educator?"
1: I don't believe in recipes because whatever you know, I'm I'm skeptical about the idea of what works and the list of the things, the five things you can do to change your, uh, to change the environment in your school, because all these things are context dependent. Uh, and, and context is everything. I mean, something that works beautifully in one school, uh, you bring it to another with a very different context and it may be a total disaster. Uh, so what, what what are the core things that I would do? Um, I mean, if I were to say, it's, it's more about principles of action than about specific strategies. Embark in learning projects yourself, make the effort. So that would be one, become a learner, a beginner's mind. That's one, because that will make you more sensitive. To the struggles that your kids are having, how they feel when they're totally inco- when they feel totally incompetent, uh, and that will give you a better you know a better disposition towards them, more better understanding. So that's one. And see how you react when you make mistakes. All those kind of things. Let's. I, I, I think that's an important thing. So take on a learning project yourself. Now in your classroom, be atten- just listen to your students. What do they love to do? what are the burning questions that they're facing about the world about their lives about their bodies about their friendships about the school and how it's running and work with them to define some good amazing projects to figure out solutions to those problems right learn alongside them make learning make your learning public that would be the third thing Make learning a visible practice. One of the big, um, big problems with schooling is that learning as a practice remains invisible from kids. You know, we were saying in the last episode, we or the last last week, sorry, we learn best when we have exposure to the expert practice that we want to emulate, right? Uh, We learn carpentry by observing a good carpenter. We learn to cook by observing a good cook cooking. We never. I don't remember in my whole uh, experience in school, and it was lots of years. I mean, I did my doctorate and postdoctorate, etc. I don't remember. Think of learning as a practice, as something that you can get better over time. I don't remember a single, a single moment where I would see a teacher learning, modeling the practice of learning. You're showing me what it looks like to learn, to confront something you don't know. To, to try to figure out a solution to a problem you don't know how to solve and how so, to so, go about it
0: so we have to be bright we have to be brave to do that though don't we because oh, yeah. because oh, yeah, our, yeah, whole, yeah. our whole our whole our whole position our whole status yeah. our yeah. whole employment depends yeah. on us having a very high degree of mastery and yeah. and a lot of teachers of course take that to the next degree which is the real perfectionists and they love to control every piece of it yeah. so yeah if we let go like that and we show that we're vulnerable the sky might fall in Santiago
1: <laughs> it, it it will feel like that uh because it's the whole institution of schooling that will fall and 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 it's uh, uh, uh and it's uh, and it, it, it may feel scary but that's change Change is scary, none of us likes to change. I mean, if it were for us, everything could just stay the way it is. And, and that that would uh, apparently, you know, that will bring us some peace of mind, all those kinds of things. So yes, it is scary. I'm not, I don't mean here that the authority of the teacher disappears, but the nature of the authority is different. The teacher shouldn't, you know, I don't think the most powerful teachers are role models of knowing. They are role models of learning. And that's very different. It is not about what you know. Of course, you need to know the curriculum very well. You need to master it. But what you have to model model for your kids is learning, because that's what you want them to learn to do. Of course, we want them to know things. But if if we base all of our practice in what I know, and just I try to pour it in in my students, what I'm doing is to disable them from learning on their own. When kids, you know, this thing we were talking last week about, which is, those uh, fortunate enough, privileged enough, and who put enough effort to get through the motions of schooling and go into university, a large proportion of them, and those are the selected few, don't know how to learn on their own. No, no wonder they, they don't know. They have been going every day of the week for many hours to a place where all they see is a teacher teaching. They don't see anybody learning. They don't see it learning is something that a teacher does when they're preparing their class, but when they come to the classroom they teach learning is something that our kids are expected to do privately when they're preparing an exam when they're doing their homework, but when they come to the classroom they're being taught as a practice learning has remained invisible from our kids and expecting that they will be able to learn on their own when they graduate from high school by, you know, uh, subjecting them to schooling is just as if we wanted to train people to learn how to play soccer. And we brought them into these soccer schools when they took different classes. One class is about how to, you know, the ball. And the other one is about the rules of the game. And the other one is about cheerleaders. And the other one is about the different positions in the field. And the other one is about the, the different measures of the field, all those kind of things. But we never let them watch a football game. And we never never let them play the game, so they may end up with their certificate uh, of being kind of you know certified as football players, but I can bet you they would not know how to how to play soccer yeah. once they finish you know, the school, can, right? So, sa- so, yeah, yeah
0: Santiago, I can remember I can remember years ago now um, doing some work with a group of kids who had been taught by their math teacher navigation, and not once had they actually navigated it.
1: That's right. The whole thing was done as a book yeah.
0: exercise in a classroom. It's like you see. that. That's and go, right. And they were shooting bearings to the corner but, of the classroom and, right. and actually
1: getting out there and actually navigating it. It's quite remarkable. It is. And, and it's very depressing. I, I took Japanese classes every day for an hour, every day, since I was in first grade, till I graduated from high school. I took Japanese classes every day. I got the best grades in Japanese. I cannot hold a conversation with a Japanese person for more than twenty seconds, and that includes the time when that person is speaking. I can't. It's ridiculous. That's the beauty of school. The beauty, the 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 the, the irony of schooling. We yes. fill our kids with certificates that say that they did these many hours and passed these many exams. And I'm, I can bet you they know very little about what those exams oh, are a, supposed to tell yeah, you.
0: Don't get me started. L- language learning and learning about spirituality and theology and religion. Uh, just, right. they're, they're two absolute hobby horses of mine. Because if ever there were two things that don't fit into 40-minute periods, eight times a day, 40 weeks a year, it's learning a language. And contemplating yeah. that which is beyond the human experience—you just don't do that in a classroom at two o'clock on a Thursday afternoon when it's hot and windy outside. Yeah, it just yeah. doesn't happen that way. It's it and, and that's a, that's an example where you know you're talking about the dehumanizing effect of education, and you're talking about the human project. Unless yeah. we make the human project truly human, then this can't happen, can it? We just yeah. end up producing the same thing where instead of doing learning, we're doing school and school is designed to produce the wrong social outcomes along the yeah. way.
1: Um, it is producing the wrong social outcomes and 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 it will continue to do it, especially now in these times where we're in, in deep crisis. Now, you were saying it can be very scary and yes, it can. I mean, nobody will save us the fear and the anxiety that change produces any any time that's that's the nature of change there are many reasons why we can resist change and one of them is fear you know nicolai machiavelli used to say you know when change is happening it's usually easier to organize against it than for it because those who are you know those who are organized against it know what's at stake for them know what they may lose and those who may support it don't have a clear picture of what what the change will really, you know, in what ways they, it will really benefit them uh, and, and whether it's worth the risk. So I think part of the work that, uh, that we need to do, and again, uh, just to your question about what to do in a school and in a classroom and a system, et cetera, is to create experiences for experiences of powerful learning, cultivate experiences of powerful learning. And I mean, I, I know there are lots of details to this, but create environments with the resources you have available for kids to experience powerful learning, engage in learning projects yourself. The thing is when you learn something deeply, powerfully, something changes in you, it does, it does. I mean, especially when you learn something that you believe you ne- would never master, something changes in you, your confidence, your, your openness to take more risks and all those kinds of things. It is those kind of experiences that we need to start cultivating more often. Because when you learn something powerfully, two things happen. First, you want more of it. And second, you reflect back on everything else that's happened before. And you often ask yourself, what was I doing? <laughs> I, I, I cannot go back to this. The thing is, you will never change what you're willing to tolerate. This is something that I heard from Kamer said that at Harvard, we were in a forum together. Mm. You will never change what you will you, you're willing to tolerate. Sure. and we need to start making schooling intolerable for everybody it is already intolerable for our kids i mean how many suspensions how much dropouts how many misbehavior how much mis- much misbehavior can we can we uh, take on the thing is we tend to pathologize our children what the troublemakers in our schools are, are are and this is an idea from a very good friend carla they their canaries in the mine You know, the miners used to bring canaries to the mine because they're more sensitive to the toxicity of the air. So when they start to perceive that the air is toxic, they start to act out. It's not that the the canary is crazy. It's not that his family doesn't care for them. It is not about their community and all the violence that it's exposed to. It is that it's reacting to the toxicity in the air. And that's what troublemakers are in our schools. They're, They're a measure. Of the toxicity that we have created around the, their dignity around um, their capacity to learn around their creativity all those kind of things what we need to do is to make this intolerable and i think it's intolerable already i mean the thing is the stress the, key, the teachers are stressed school leaders are stressed teach, kids are stressed everybody's stressed out yeah, no and idea. the thing is yeah. and and the thing is continuing to play the old game of schooling will only take all of us collectively to burnout it is burnout yeah
0: Santiago I want to propose one last part of this notion of educational change is a social movement yeah yeah and part of this human project which which we haven't really broached so far but I think it's really important
1: (laughs) that's that's a good
0: point okay so just again bear with me for a moment I'm going to mention some names here you won't know any of these people I do they're wonderful people who I learn from in different schools who we work with. So I'm thinking about Jamie McNeil right now who works in a school in Manhattan. And um, and she will always talk very powerfully about the importance of listening and observing, that great teachers and great learners listen and yep. observe. I'm hearing Hugh Chilton and Jeff Mann talk about powerful learning experiences. I'm hearing Caitlin Mundy uh, talk to me about the importance of digging into a research project yourself and and getting in that pit and so on. These are people who are at the chalk face. They're doing the work right now in schools in, in, in and all, all around the place. You have an ability to observe, to see, and then to say what you think. Now, I don't want to speak on behalf of Jamie and Caitlin and Hugh and Jeff because they're all pretty good actually at sharing with others. A lot of teachers will see, will observe, will connect the dots and then they'll go, who, me? Oh, no, no, I couldn't possibly say anything of significance whatsoever. How do we help teachers to develop the voice and agency and advocacy that we want our kids to have? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think part of it is to connect them with other teachers, to to create space where you start social movements thrive on connection with others. When you share your stories, when you share your ideas and start to get feedback and start, that's when things start to roll out. And that's, again, the power of social movements. They create, they help create and forge collective identity and collective power. There are a few things as motivating, as engaging, as as, as, um, inspiring as uh, seeing kids learning in powerful ways and seeing teachers in their element, kind of orchestrating and supporting powerful learning in the, in the, in the kids. Uh, what we need to start doing is to increase the visibility of these teachers and increase their message as well uh not do it for them but just you know whatever venues we have where those voices can be elevated we need to help create those forums so that's that's part of it i think part of what we will start to notice once to, once we start being more honest with each other about our stories of schooling and uh, what our ideas uh, the mismatch between what we believe and what we do between what we want and we are actually what we are actually get I think we're gonna start to come to the realization that this is a very widely shared problem. And right now it's an existential problem for us to be able to match our beliefs with our actions, to match what we say with what we do, our mission statements with our habits. All those kinds of things need to be part of what we all do now. And it's much easier to do it when we do it alongside others. I think that's the, that's the nature of the world that lies ahead for us. There is no. You were mentioned at the beginning, of course. When I talk about educational changes as a social movement, I don't go immediately to confrontation, to fight, to demonstration, to protest. When I talk about educational change as a social movement, what I'm trying to com- to, to convey is that we are in a massive shift in our planet, a massive planetary shift. And we will need to transform the culture of schooling if we want to save the human project. We will have to transform the culture of schooling uh, and replace it with the game of learning. And for that, we we will need deep and widespread cultural change. And, uh, and, and I think I, I, I find it more helpful to think about igniting social movements that are doing this than about creating a policy or a program or a new regulations, new legislation, all those kind of things. It, there's a place for that. There are three arenas there that we actually need to intervene if we want to liberate learning and do it at scale. One is the pedagogical arena. The other one is the social arena and the the political arena as well. So there is a place for legislation, all those kind of things. But at the core of our work has to be um, deep cultural transformation, centered around learning. And uh, at the core of it has to be purpose. What it is that we're willing to fight for and to put ourselves at risk for. And I think the human project is a pretty good one. I think our kids are the generation that we're living with a very messy world um, to deal with. Are worth it, and uh, and I think you know. So 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 we can we can start to galvanize um, our talents and our time and our expertise around this purpose. Of course, this will mean getting in trouble. Don't get me wrong. I mean, the thing is. Actually, if you don't get in trouble when you're liberating learning, you're really not liberating learning. (laughs) Uh, You need to to experience tensions with the system around you because the system around you is not designed for it. And it will try to expel it. It will try to shut it down, to to assimilate it. That's what the culture of school is so good at doing. So uh, it is about taking risks. And uh, let me just say, uh, just share a reflection around feeling all the constraints that teachers have in their in their work. The first thing to say is, when you create the conditions for powerful learning, you can fill the checklist way more quickly and efficiently than if you try to do one thing at a time in your checklist. When kids are engaged in their learning, they learn the formal content at 10 times the pace. So you're not wasting your time you are developing the talent to their, their ability to learn on their own. And they get to master content, not because it's in the curriculum, because they realize they need it to understand the problem they were trying to solve. And when they want it, they would learn it way more quickly. So it's not a neither or, it's not that you cannot do well with standardized testing and all those kinds of things. I mean, we need to deal with those as well, but create powerful learning and the other results will follow. I just wanted to share the story from V from Vendetta uh, uh, this movie about the uh, this uh, anti- anti-hero, you know, in post-apocalyptic Britain um, that's trying to blow up the parliament. Uh, I don't know if you've watched that movie, V for I know, I know I, I, my, um, my
0: kids and I know V for Vendetta very, very well. Okay, yes. that's
1: good. Well, there's there's this moment where Evie, the 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 journalist, Natalie Portman, uh, gets kidnapped and sent to a cell. I don't know if you remember that that scene she she experiences very powerful you know very devastating torture psychologically physically she endures uh, torture while in the cell and um the cell is very very narrow there's a door with a with a there, there's a locked door and uh, there's just a little window with with bars that allows her to see through the hallway and in the hallway there's always a guard in some moment in the movie Evie has a a moment of enlightenment Mm. and then she decides to go and push the door of the cell and the door just opens wide right Mm. Mm. so she realizes that the door has never been locked Mm. and then she starts looking down the hallway and the guard is there she keeps looking and the guard is not moving so she decides to step out to the hallway and start walking down the hallway and realizes that the guard is a mannequin in many ways that's how our education systems have trained us to operate with the idea that you will get in trouble if you push the door and that you will be in trouble if you walk down the hallway because there's a guard there. But many times there's no lock in the door and the guard is just a mannequin. And uh, of course, there are times when you will get in trouble. And I think it's important to be audacious, but not naive. So teachers know their context better. And it's important to stay safe, to stay protected, all those kind of things. But my invitation is to start Pushing some of those doors, especially with others, with other teachers, and see what happens. Because I, because I think many, I think the the story that I'm sharing is a good illustration of the idea that yeah. the prison we put ourselves into is in our minds.
0: It's such a powerful metaphor that you're you're connecting us to there, Santiago. You know, hearing you talk about the need. To bring people together in community and, and to think about things collectively. And well, that's what the Game Changes is all about. It's, it's about creating a worldwide community of inquiry and practice where people are connecting and hearing the stories of what can be done that will enable them to take that big step forward and up. I've really enjoyed this masterclass on connecting education to the idea of a social movement and the way that it really occurs starting with as those intimate connections that we have in the learning environment about creating um, the conditions for powerful learning and if anybody anybody's still finding it difficult to to believe that you can get great standardized test results and create powerful learning at the same time go and read the gates foundation research It's pretty conclusive around that great teachers do both. Uh, Santiago, I think you're a great teacher and I can't wait for our third episode when we're going to learn more from you about what's happening in the global south. Thank you very much for joining me today and for helping me learn more. Will you come back one more time next week? Of course,
1: Phil. This has been just a blast. I I, I've truly thoroughly enjoyed these, these two conversations and I look forward to our third one.
0: Yeah, thanks very much, man. See you next week. See you next week.